From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and each week I talk with purposeful business and thought leaders about the revolutionary mindsets and methods you can use to build your bottom line and a better future for all of us. Today I'm joined by Michelle Moser, the Director of Corporate Citizenship at Samsung Electronics America. Now, Samsung is one of the largest technology companies in the world. And as its Director of Corporate Citizenship, Michelle oversees its STEM and STEAM education programming that address real-world issues and inspire change across local communities. So, Michelle, welcome to Lead With We. Thank you so much, Simon. I'm so happy to talk with you today. You know, I'm always fascinated how somebody in the corporate world ends up in the do-good space because we need more of that every day. I know you studied at NYU, the Stern School of Business. How did you end up at Samsung and then how did you migrate to corporate citizenship? Sure. So it was pretty, it was a pretty interesting journey. I was enjoying what I was doing. And then I started noticing that there was quite a few women in my circle and some folks that I had met through business school that had entered the space and exited the space. And I wanted to be a part of keeping people, especially women in that space. So I learned about a position in the corporate citizenship department for our STEM education programming. And I thought, that's it. This is what I need to be a part of. And I guess the rest is history because I interviewed for the position and I am now in it. (laughs) And, you know, lead with, we were always talking about purposeful business broadly, but there's different kind of lanes that you can play in. Mm -hmm. Can you help us understand the distinction between, for example, sustainability and ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance you know, strategies, and philanthropy and corporate citizenship, because it's easy to get them confused. Right. That, that is true. And there is, there is overlap between all of those areas. So my focus area, which is corporate citizenship, is as an organization at Samsung, how do we act in the community? So how do we contribute? So not just a a donation, let's say, not just a philanthropic donation to an organization that we believe in, but what is our strategy as an organization? How does that align with what's happening in the community and the NGOs around us? And how can we partner together to benefit our communities? So that might look like Uh, a program like Samsung Solve for Tomorrow, where we contribute to schools all across the country. It might look like uh, volunteerism, employee and volunteerism and mentorship with community members. Those are the two primary areas, but it could also be programming for our employees to help them and support them as they're donating to causes that they care about. And, you know, I've always got a healthy cynicism towards the business doing good space because I think we need to, to hold people accountable and so on. Where do you feel the pressure to do that comes from? You're one of the largest technology or um, electronic companies in the world. And I'm talking about all companies here. Is it from employees? Does it come from um, consumers? Is it an expectation from the local communities you work in to really shore up your license to operate in their communities? Because you know, it's a shift in focus, capital, attention, resources. Why do companies do it? So I think it's all of the above. You listed all of the reasons and I'm sure there's others that you and I can come up with. But first and foremost, this is who we are at Samsung. One of our core values is co-prosperity. When I started at Samsung day one, I had a notebook, listed out our values. And the one that really popped out, there's their excellence, you know, being customer centric, 
co-prosperity. So we really care about the communities where we live and work. We care about those communities that our customers live and work in. So that's who we are at Samsung. Uh, that's the, I can give that that answer from Samsung's perspective, uh, but I know some of the other uh, the other explanations you gave are also relevant. You also have a mission for your corporate citizenship, and I I mentioned this because it's not about just doing good broadly and doing these ad hoc kind of impact initiatives. Mm. Because in my experience, all you end up doing is broadcasting your schizophrenia to everyone. People are like, well, I know you did this and you did this and you did this. But if you ask me, even an employee, what Samsung stands for, you wouldn't be able to actually articulate it because they just see all these various tactics. So, so what is the mission of the corporate citizenship you know, um, department? So our mission is together for tomorrow, enabling people. And so everything that we do, of course, is involved in the tech space, but we're looking forward to tomorrow. What are those gaps in our communities that we can help support and help fill? And also, how do we enable people to succeed as we try to close those gaps? So the Samsung Solve for Tomorrow contest is an example of that. We observed that there was a gap in the um, STEM skills and that in the next 10 to 20 years, this is very well known that there are not enough people who will have the right STEM skills to fill the roles that we need uh, at Samsung and all other technology companies. And, you know, I think that's really important what you're mentioning here, because you can't do all of this work in a vacuum. It's got to make sense for the business. It's got to be relevant to the business, the category, the industry. And so by supporting you know, young minds in terms of STEM and STEAM, in a sense, it's doing good and filling a gap in terms of what's needed, but it's also building the next generation of people who would be interested in those industries, correct? Correct. I think that's really important to note because sometimes I think one of the challenges for leaders out there today is with so many crises all at once from, you know, geopolitical um, conflicts through to COVID through to the climate emergency, through to the response to the Black Lives Matter movement, I think a lot of leaders feel overwhelmed. They're like, mm. where do I put my attention? So how do you decide where to show up and you know what things you can actually recognize as important, but they aren't specifically relevant to Samsung? So Samsung Solve for Tomorrow program enables us to do just that through the way that students and teachers are inspired. So We've created this platform. It's a contest that happens every year where we ask students that are in grades 6 through 12 across the U.S. to tell us about a problem in their community that they're trying to solve using STEM. It's a really straightforward ask to teachers and students. They then tell us the most pressing problems through their ideas and through their solutions. So last year, we received... Uh, quite a few ideas that came through uh, that were related to social justice. We saw quite a few ideas related to the ongoing pandemic. This year, we're seeing a lot about food scarcity. We're seeing a lot about accessibility and um, a different adaptable equipment to help those that need it. So uh, in that way, we're able to provide a program that meets our objectives and our strategy, but also supports and addresses all of the needs that you just listed. 
So STEM and STEAM have that versatility inherent within them because, you know, they can be applied in all these different ways. Actually, for those who don't know, can you explain what STEM and STEAM are? Because, you know, maybe some folks aren't familiar with those terms. Sure. So STEM is, STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. STEAM, there's that A in there, also is arts. So those are the, the disciplines and education for training those hard skills. So STEM and STEAM. Sometimes with STEAM, you also see arts being arts and design and arts and creativity that falls under that umbrella as well. And, you know, how do you choose where to play when you've got such a big issue like this? You know, whether you're a startup, whether you're an entrepreneur, a high growth company or, or a large corporation like Samsung, the, you've got this massive issue. And do you start with underserved communities? Do you start in the markets in which you operate? And, and then how do you decide? Do you provide literal financing? Do you provide resources? Do you provide education? Like, where do you begin? Walk us through that process. Yeah. So we're 12 years in. Uh, we're, you know, we're coming to the end of our 12th year shortly. Uh, it started with a really simple essay contest asking students to tell us about you know, an environmental cause they cared about. And that's how it started. So we wanted to support STEM education and we wanted to encourage students to give back to their community and to their environment. And it, it started as a simple and beautiful essay contest and it's evolved and we've pivoted over time. So where we are today is very different, but also very similar than we were 12 years ago. The evolution really has been Okay, students care about the environment, but they care about so many other things. There's so many other issues. And a lot of those issues even have sustainability and environmental concerns baked into them and built into them. So uh, about, I think it was eight years ago now, we broadened the ask to students and teachers to solve a problem in their community using STEM. And all of a sudden, we saw these other issues coming up, social issues. We saw we saw bullying. More recently, we were seeing vaping. Uh, we were seeing, um, we've seen human trafficking. So students were talking about those issues that we are all talking about. Uh, and so we realized it was our duty to continue to look and to continue to evolve the program to meet the needs of the teachers and students. So listening is baked in to the Solve for Tomorrow program. We listen. We have a listening period at the end of every year, but we also listen throughout. And if we need to tweak throughout, we do. And at the end of the year, that's when you'll see, you know, you'll see those innovations of the program. So the program has grown, right? It's a $2 million contest now. Right. We've given away over $20 million in those 12 years. Over 25,000 schools have participated. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an evolution. And I mean, you know, in that journey, as you say, you evolve, you iterate, you tweak the, the, the program. And a lot of the people listening to this would probably want to have some impact in some way through some program relevant to their business. So can you share one lesson or one sort of course correction or one insight over those 12 years that where you saw, oh, wow, if we did this differently, we'd be more effective or we'd learn from, you know, something that we did in the past? Sure. So one thing we learned, one thing we noticed was that we had, I believe it was four years ago now, we noticed that we had a set of teachers, these amazing hand raising teachers that were applying to the contest year in, year out. And 
many of them really became state finalists or maybe state winners, but didn't progress. And we worried because they were spending time and they were acting as cheerleaders for their students and they were inspiring their students. But then maybe they weren't getting all the way to a national winner uh, or national finalist. So we, at that point, we thought, okay, how can we continue to inspire them and really acknowledge their contribution through their participation in the Solve for Tomorrow program and just as teachers in general? So we took a pause for a moment, like a pause for us is like three days. We took a pause and we listened to the teachers. And from there we said, okay, we know that the core Samsung Solve for Tomorrow contest this is always going to be the case. There's going to be teachers that don't really get to this next level, but let's provide additional programming for those teachers. So what we learned there is it, sometimes you can you can tweak the program, but other times you need to create some adjacent programs to meet the the needs that come out of your learning. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, you know, it's sort of winner takes all in a sense. The winners get the full benefits, but all of those who did so much work and actually had a measure of success kind of get left out of the mix. And can you give us an example of some of the ideas that you have, you know, come up through the contest and then sure. what did Samsung do to kind of embrace those ideas or scale them or take them to market? So the focus of the Samsung Solve for Tomorrow contest is providing those skills to the teachers and students. We don't necessarily focus on taking to market, but really giving the tools to the, to the teachers and students and for them to repeat what they've learned as part of the contest. So the discipline of problem-based learning. What's the problem I want to solve? What, like, how do I empathize about that problem? What STEM skills can I pull out to convert into this amazing idea? That's, that's what our objective is with um, the contest as it's run. Some amazing ideas that have come out of it, they can go from, you know, I guess five or six years ago, using drones in agriculture was was pretty new and pretty fresh. And so that that school I was talking about, I, I think I mentioned there's a school in Gearing, Nebraska, where they did, um, they were using drones for, you know, for spraying crops in a more efficient manner that minimized the, uh, minimized the usage of pesticides, which ultimately would get into the water supply. So that was pretty, pretty innovative at that, at that point. Uh, and we get to see that as, you know, every single year. This year, uh, an example, I think there's a school from New York, uh, they're middle school students, and they developed a, a magnet and Velcro system to enable those who have prosthetics, children who have prosthetics to ride a bike. And so there are these, there are already these tools and enabling devices to help children with prosthetics to ride a bike that are really expensive and not all parents have access to them. These students, sixth graders, created a affordable solution that could be used by all kids, by all families. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, it's so inspiring. And and just from a practical point of view, what does a what does a program look like? I mean, how does it work with the existing studying or classes they're doing? Is this on top during the school week or is it on a weekend thing? And then across how many schools and what sort of footprint? Give us a sense of that. So the Samsung Solve for Tomorrow contest asks public school students grades 6 through 12 across the U.S. in all 50 states and D.C. to solve a problem in their community using STEM. Teachers submit on behalf of the students. The teachers work with the students to come up with the idea, but it's really the students' 
work. Uh, the program was founded in the U.S. 12 years ago, and it's it has since rolled out to 20 countries. Um, you know, so it is a global program now. Uh, it really depends. You know, teachers teachers tell us how they run the program, and it's it's all different. In some cases, it's embedded in their curriculum. Those teachers who participated year in, year out, they just have Solve for Tomorrow as part of their curriculum. There's a school in Kentucky, um, the Ashland School. Uh, they were a national winner three years back and or four years back, and they have a Solve for Tomorrow class that they offer in their school. But then you have some, in, in some other cases, you have schools that have an extracurricular STEM club or some sort of engineering club, and they do it after school. And then you see something in between as well, where a few hours a week are taken out in class in class time for the Solve for Tomorrow contest. Is there any particular you know student or story that sort of stuck with you of all the things you've seen over all these years? Is there anyone that sort of struck you? I mean, you can't. You can't. <laughs> you can't choose your favorite. You can't choose just one, right? You cannot choose just one. Is there are a handful? Is yes. there 10, 10 of your favorite stories? Yes. Okay. I, I will share one of them, but I will say yeah. we do have a really robust alumni network. And that's one of those adjacent programs that we now have where we, we keep in touch with those students. So yeah, I think one in particular that comes to mind, uh, she was part of a national, the national winning team from Doherty Valley High School in California a few years back. Her name is Neha. She reached out to my colleagues and I a few months ago, and she let us know how impactful the Solve for Tomorrow program was for her. She wasn't really sure what direction she wanted to go in with her education and, uh, through the work she did with the Solve for Tomorrow program, she decided she wanted to become an engineer. So that's the dream for us, you know, and she sent us an enthusiastic uh, letter letting us know that's what she was going to do. And she got accepted into Stanford. And, you know, so that was really amazing for, for Neha. That is so fantastic. I mean, young minds are just sort of boundless potential. I mean, you give them that sort of support. You have no idea the impact you can have. Like, for example, one person may be listening to this podcast and they may launch a program through the lens of their particular business and industry that can really change lives. And that's really, you know, the power of these sorts of things. Coming back to the business, I mean, you know, there's so much pressure on businesses to grow, to survive. We know it's been a very challenging few years. How do you sort of quantify the return on the investment of these sort of programs? Is it the reputation? Is it the employee response? What's the ROI of doing something like this? So for the corporate citizenship team, we don't necessarily talk about ROI um, as you would traditionally think about it, but we do talk about from a from a brand perspective and a customer perspective, this this type of work is really important and it's it's it is expected actually. So that's one part of it. The other is from the employee perspective as well of having these types of programs. This is true to who we are. This is part of our culture. And it is really important that we have a program like this that that reinforces and supports those values that we hold at Samsung. And you know, I I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's even increased during COVID. I mean, the way that companies showed up to protect the health and well-being of their employees and their local communities mm -hmm. went through the roof. Have you seen much of a shift in expectation over the last decade in terms of corporate citizenship? Do you think it's increased or is it just more visible? What changes have you seen? If I think back to when I was working um, working on my master's at NYU, there was this, you know, we talked about the triple bottom line and 
that in some in some conversations that was new and I, I I was like how is this new you know but because so many organizations have like Samsung where doing good is part of who we are and co prosperity is part of who we are uh, this is not a new thing it was very surprising that it felt new in some conversations but now it's just the assumption like it's table stakes like you you need to be doing good. The types of programs that we run like Samsung Solve for Tomorrow are um, expected. Now, I think I think the Solve for Tomorrow contest takes it to the next level just based on how all of our stakeholder groups internally and externally are so engaged with the program. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's critical, I believe. And obviously, this sort of work is so important to everyone, not just existing employees, but I would imagine new employees, because in the context of the Great Resignation, all the data I've read suggests that people are looking to work for companies that are aligned with their yes. values. Do you imagine that that's a consideration when they see you know, what Samsung is doing in these types of programs? Oh, yes. I definitely think that that is a consideration as new candidates come in. What I do see is that we have a robust employee mentorship program. And we see new employee mentors every year. And many times when I meet them for the first time, I hear, oh, I've been at Samsung for three months, four months, five months. So that shows me people are onboarding and really quickly looking around and saying, how can I participate? You know, I think that's a really good indication of the types of um, candidates that are coming in at Samsung. And, you know, I have to say this is almost personal for me because my wife was a high school teacher um, in Australia and in, and in London before we came to the U.S. And I became profoundly aware of how often under-resourced and under-supported teachers are. And I know a few years ago you started working with teachers as well. Why did you do that and what sort of support do you provide? Yeah, so, um, so thank you. Thank you to your wife. We call the teachers that we work with the rock stars. So they are the Samsung Solve for Tomorrow rock star teachers. So of course, uh, we we all know and understand that many, many educators are under-resourced. Um, and actually, as a matter of fact, that's part of the reason we we partnered with Donors Choose. So um, are you familiar with Donors? Have you ever worked with Donors Choose, Simon? I'm familiar, but please, for our listeners, just sort of give a bit more insight. Donors Choose, uh, an organization that was founded by Charles Best, who is an educator himself, uh, they provide support to teachers who can put their projects out there uh, on the Donors Choose platform. And what that means is, well, I, I'm under resource and I need something for my students to enable them to succeed. And uh, you and I, can go in and say, I'm going to donate $5. I'm going to donate $15. And in this very, very beautiful way, people from all across the country can donate to a school in one location that maybe aligns with one of their person personal passion points. Um, so for me, it's making sure, you know, every single chemistry class has goggles. So if I see anybody asking for goggles, I'm going to give $5, $10. So donors choose as a as a fabulous organization that supports teachers who are under-resourced. A few years ago, we decided to partner with Donors Choose. So Donors Choose works with those hand-raising rock star teachers that we know and love at Samsung. And so through our partnership with Donors Choose, we got to work with more amazing teachers. And also Donors Choose knows how to 
meet the needs of teachers and make sure that they're selecting the right prizes at the end of the year that'll really meet the needs of their classroom and um, accelerate the success of their students. So we work with Donors Choose um, in that regard. And then, you know, you bring up a really important point, which is the important role that collaboration with donors, for example, plays in providing the resources that teachers need. And not everyone has the resources that Samsung has, obviously. They're one of the largest electronic companies in the world. If you're a younger, smaller company, you may have 100 or 1,000 employees, but you want to launch a program that's going to make a difference, how do you go about approaching it? Do you just start small and grow it, or do you look to partnerships with existing programs in the same areas? What would your advice be? I think the first thing is just really focusing on what your strategy is. Uh with also allowing yourself to learn, listen, and be nimble. But what is your strategy and what do you want to do? I do think it's really important in the first few years to focus and keep it small and learn, learn the space, become the expert, and start working with these partners, talking to NGOs in that space that makes sense. Uh, and, And then decide, okay, does it make sense for us to invest, to have a program that's that's owned only by our organization, a wholly wholly owned program, or does it make sense to um, accelerate through partnership? And it, it really depends. But I do think it does. It is important to pause a few months time. I'm saying two years, but in, in my time, that's probably like three months. But you know, let's say two years, um, take that time to really invest time and learning time. I think learning time is critical. Through your journey in corporate citizenship at Samsung, What's something on a personal level, maybe an insight or learning that you've had? Because I've I've been, you know, um, with the team running WeFirst for 11 years, and I feel like I'm still just starting. It's like it's a fresh day every day because you're only just working out what you're doing. What have you learned on the way? As communicators, you know, you and I are talking as communicators. There's some issues we may not talk about or we skirt around or we just, yeah, we don't want to go there in the conversation. Young people never shy away from the hard issues. And I am I am brought to tears almost every single year when I'm privileged to read the thousands of applications we receive from teachers and students across the country. They do not shy away from the hard issues where we might we we may, we might, but young people do not. Um it's very it's very humbling. It's very inspiring. It gives me a very positive outlook for our future because you know they are our future. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's for me. That's that's been it. I I am moved to tears. They never shy away from those hard issues. I think you know the investment in young people can't be overstated. There's someone's expression. I don't know who it is who said that young people are a hundred percent of our future. And you know, so it's a sound investment. And just pulling out to the Samsung sort of telescoping back to the Samsung uh, level again. How do you calibrate a program like this for different markets? Because certain markets are concerned about different issues and that informs their schooling. There's different traditions and rituals in terms of the classroom. So how do you calibrate that? When the contest was founded, we shared the results with our our global headquarters and uh, in Suwon, in Korea, and they listened and they learned. That's a big, you know, I keep on talking about that. They listened and they learned. And then we started collaborating and talking across the other um, the other locations as it rolled out. So 
the way that the way that we do it is that we don't we're not rigid with this is what solve for tomorrow looks like in the US and this is what it needs to look like in Brazil. It's 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 an unreasonable unreasonable expectation. So we would say the first thing is school years look different. School years look different, right? Like we we're even in the United States, some school years are year round, some are September to May, some are August to June. Like it just depends. So let's adapt to that. And then others was some some markets said, you know what, we actually want to work with slightly younger students. Or you know what, we want to work with slightly older students. And so there's a lot of flexibility to meet the needs of the of the local market. There's not one, though there's a general framework, uh, how the, you know, the spirit of the contest, problem-based learning, um, really, uh, really succeeding through the right and smart partners, engaging employees. That's the same all over the world but it's adapted to the local needs. Now, obviously a program like this is just one piece of the corporate citizenship puzzle. And when you've got a huge corporation like Samsung Electronics, give us a sense of the different dimensions of corporate citizenship or the ways that you show up in terms of impact. Sure. So, so as, as I talked about, I lead all of our STEM education programming in the corporate citizenship team. But another really important dimension of corporate citizenship at Samsung is employee engagement and engaging our uh, community stakeholders. So, and, and employee engagement and community stakeholder engagement go hand in hand. So while we do direct uh, direct engagement with some of our community stakeholders, a lot of that engagement actually happens through our employees. So again, we have our STEM education programming, which is very, you know, focused on our, our strategy. Everything falls under the, um, everything falls under the Together for Tomorrow enabling people umbrella, but there's a STEM education strategy, and then there is employee engagement and community outreach as it, as it relates. So as an example, in employee engagement, we have our um, day of service activities where our, uh, our employees physically and virtually go out into the into communities to to really lend a helping hand and they go out in those areas that have the most need and that also align with employees personal passion points additionally we have um we have some of the some of the uh corporate citizenship programming that you would expect which is matching programs where employees say i care about this type of mission or this type of organization and Samsung does match any donations that they make to um, to those organizations. And then another way is that employees can nominate organizations that they that they care about and that a committee of employees actually decides how those resources can be allocated. So we're really focused on community outreach that matters to our employees in the communities that we live and we work and we serve. And then I ask that question because I just want to sort of share with listeners the different ways that a commitment like corporate citizenship can show up. And, you know, this all sounds well and good. I mean, it's fantastic that companies like Samsung are doing good and doing more of it. And it's never enough in truth. There's so many big problems to solve for. But it's not just a carrot. You know, when you do this, you get recognized for doing it. There's also a stick side to it, I think, in the in the business world more broadly, in the private sector. If you're not showing up in certain ways, you're not really relevant to the marketplace and the expectations of all stakeholders. So if you were to advise people listening as to why they should be thinking this way from more of a stick point of view rather than a carrot, what would you say? 
Oh, I'm a carrot person. <laughs> You're a carrot person. But I, I see I'm like... making you the bad cop here. So what can I tell you? <laughs> well, I, it's it's more of what we were talking about is this is a baseline expectation, right? So as, you know, as an organization, if you want to continue to grow and if you want to continue to innovate and you want to continue to attract the right talent, the right employees, the right partners to, you know, to get your mission accomplished, you you need this, right? So that's, 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 that's as much as you're gonna get a stick out of me for that one. But <laughs> that is, that is my philosophy on it. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think, you know, anyone who is not thinking actively or intentionally about the positive in th impact they can have beyond taking their product to market is not paying attention to the reality of the marketplace we're in quite simply. And, you know, with all of this good work in mind, though, what, what keeps you up at night? You know, Michelle, what is the thing that you struggle with, either peculiar to the program and yeah. the needs of teachers and students, or, you know, a lot of the different challenges that business is being expected to solve these days? So, of, of course, there's always going to be business challenges that keep me up at night and that, you know, that's normal. But as it, as it relates to Samsung Solve for Tomorrow, it's the teachers. Uh, I have been privileged to work with some of the best human beings in the world, frankly. And over the last, you asked about student stress. I think teacher stress has been quite challenging over the last few years. And um, so from a personal perspective, I, I worry about them. Many of them are in my personal network. Many of them reach out to me regularly, um, professionally. Uh, you know, they've become really, they've been become trusted partners and colleagues of mine as well through um, through my interactions with them. And it's been, it's been a really tough few years for them in general. So I, that keeps me up at night. I think about them. Uh, but on the flip side, I'm really hopeful because they are a resilient bunch. And um, and again, that's why we call them our rock stars. No, it's it's absolutely true. You know, medical practitioners, first responders and teachers, you know, not far behind have been showing up and, and, and gone through so many ups and downs um, over the last few years for all the reasons we know. And if you were to give one piece of advice for those newly venturing into the corporate citizen world or someone who wants to learn, launch some sort of impact program, however large yeah. or small, what would you say? Focus. Focus. Know your strategy. Understand what your mission is and what you're trying to accomplish. Really know what your strategy is. And as you're interacting and partnering, make sure there's alignment of strategy. Keep focused. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, it's not only a challenge to do good effectively these days, but to stand out from the noise of all these organizations, for-profit and non-profit doing good. You've really got to stand out in the clutter. So you've got to be very focused. And I know you're a carrot cup half full person. So I want to ask you, what is one surprising benefit or positive that came out of the last couple of years? Because I think it's been a double-edged sword in so many ways. Is there anything that came out of it that you were like, wow, that was a, an insight or a learning or an impact that I didn't expect? Yeah. So one of the, um, I think, actually accessibility and leveling the playing field. So in in many ways, that was that's a challenge that came out of what we experienced over the last few years. But what I learned was that doing meetings this way, doing meetings virtually enables us to reach more people. So I think in, in some ways we had, um, we are able to now, because we've all done it, uh, if we decide, if we like, for example, 
coming up in a few weeks, we will have our 10 national finalist schools. Um, we've invited them to come to New York. Nine will be coming in person. The 10th school will be coming virtually. And so I think that's really beautiful. I don't know if we would have thought of that a few years ago. No, no, you have to be physically here. You have to be here in person. But why? You actually don't. You can be in person if that's what you prefer, or you can be virtual and you can be just as successful. So it's been a, it's been a, I don't want to say a happy surprise, but it's been, it's been a nice learning for us that we can be much more flexible on the way we interact with teachers and schools and students and, and run our program. Absolutely. I mean, that's a huge win. And, and Michelle, thank you for demystifying this term that so many people hear of, you know, corporate citizenship. But what does that mean? And for also sharing the insights into the impact that Samsung's having. So thank you so much for what you shared today. Thank you so much, Simon. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead with We. And you can find out more information about today's guest, Michelle Moser, in the show notes of this episode. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Plus, you can now find us on all United Airlines in-flight entertainment consoles as well. And if you like this video, hit the like button below and be sure to subscribe. Finally, if you want to dive even deeper into the world of purposeful business, check out my new book and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Lead With We, that's now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Google Books. Lead With We is produced by Goal17 Media. I'll see you again soon, and until then, let's all lead with we.